interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good morning, Lincoln. This is Dan Alberts, um, pinch hitting really for Pastor Stu Kearns, really Dr. Pastor Stu Kearns. This is Friendly Fire. I've been with Stu doing radio shows maybe now for at least a decade. It's hard to imagine. Time flies. But I'm really happy to be with you. I'm going to be with you for the next three weeks. Pastor Stu's on sabbatical at his uh, church and a little bit of a sabbatical from doing this radio show. He has to find a guest every you know, every week, and he's got to guest for the rest of the summer. So I need to do an exceptionally good job getting guests for the next three weeks. And I'm going to tell you who these guests are. And this morning, I got a neighbor of mine, but it's more importantly, this is a neighbor who's been in his home for 11 years. It's a neighbor who's got a front porch that everyone would want to sit on, and that's sort of leading us to where we're going to chat today and really about the the theme for the next three weeks. A week from now, after after our guest today, we're going to have a, a father and a son in the school that I just recently finished teaching in, in Omaha, Omaha Central. Um, I've been there for two years with my daughter, and I, there's a theme that's arising out of this conversation. And then in the third week, I'm going to have Senator Daniel Conrad. Uh, I think Senator Conrad eventually will become the governor of the state of Nebraska. Now, she didn't say anything about that, so, but she has the kind of skill set that would make a good leader for the state of Nebraska. And she's also a neighbor of, of my guest today. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to him now. Uh, and Lance and I, Lance Lance Antone, correct, Lance? Is yes. that right? Lance and I, I have walked my dog Stella by his house in the East Campus neighborhood in an area that's called Professor's Row. And he's been there for a number of years. I walk by his home. And every time I walk by your home, Lance, I bet 90% of the time you're sitting out on your front porch, and it's that front porch that, uh, and the conversations that go on there that we're going to discuss this morning, if that's okay with you. Would you do that with me? Sounds great. Okay. Lance, you're often, and here's the reason, Lance, why I want to have this conversation. I just finished at a high school teaching kids where I watch children. Um, up in 3,000 people in the same building, closely closely together that are all moving at the same time and uh, almost no conversation going on between them they're um, what it appears like they're doing is they're swamped looking at their phones and they're swamped having their earphones in their in their ears and what it appears like and I, and I haven't asked all of them what are you doing it's as if they're trying to avoid each other and in contrast with that Lance I go by your front porch, and it appears to me that what you're doing is just the opposite. What you're doing is trying to encourage everyone to come up on your front porch with you. You'll often say, hey, you want to have a beer? <laughs> or, or, And I'll watch all kinds of people sitting there on your swing and in one of your chairs. I've also been over at your home when you've had a big cookout and you've got these large pans full of food that that screams, please come over and enjoy a meal with me. And what I want to do with you, Lance, is explore why and also then discuss why is it that I'm looking at kids to see if we can analyze why am I watching kids who seem to know nothing about 
having conversations with each other. In fact, just the opposite, seem to be trying to avoid conversing with each other. They look down, they have their earphones in, and you can see them, so it suggests to the person walking by, I don't want anything to do with you. And they're also looking at their phones. In fact, they look at their phones so much you could run into them in the hallway because they're so busy looking away. That's what it appears like. So anyway, I want to explore all this. Stu and I are always about... How do we communicate? How do we create create community? And your front porch and you, Lance, seem to scream community. Tell me about yourself a little and tell me why you're sitting on that front porch so often. All right. Um, <laughs> now, I know that's a huge opening. Well, but we're going to dig into this. Why are you on that front porch so much? Is it the weather? Usually, but <laughs> often uh, we're out there even in inclement weather. Okay. Why? It's a gathering place for my friends and my coworkers and my neighbors. Um, sometimes come over and have a drink after work and play a game of bocce. And over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of you and your wife, Beth, and Danielle. Shout out, Danielle. Um, and all my neighbors and their kids and people walking by who work at East Campus. And it's just a neighborly thing to do. We like to gather there, talk. Sometimes we meet up there to go on motorcycle rides or canoe trips or just uh, de-stress after a night at work. You work at uh, you work for the railroad? Yes. Okay. What do you do with the railroad? I, I work out on uh, West O Street here, okay. here in Lincoln. Okay. Okay, and you've worked for them for some period of time. Uh, it'll be 13 years this summer. Okay. And your home, this home where I admire this front porch so much. In fact, I'm going to have Stu put a picture of your front porch and you on it as part of the the part of the Friendly Fire Facebook page. How long have you lived there? Has it been a family home? Tell me about this place that I, it, I that is so attractive to me. Originally, uh as a small child, lived there with my brothers and my mother and father until just before third grade started. And so what is that, about a decade ago? Yeah. <laughs> it was some time ago and had a lot of really great memories of my childhood there with my brothers and my friends in the neighborhood. Just a really great place to grow up. And it was a really – and then as I got older and and got married and had – more kids, I thought that'd just be a great place to raise to my, our kids. So as luck would have it, my parents still own the home and it had become recently unoccupied. This is about 11 years ago. And I was able to talk them into letting Usually. me and my young family move in there. In fact, my son was born in the living room as a home birth. So it's very much a, a family home. Rooted. Definitely. Tell me, before we go on to our first break, tell me, Lance, what is it about your memory when you got ready to move back to that home? What was it that you recalled? Give me some detail or illustrate. What is it that you remembered that caused you to want to return? The neighborhood, riding my bike a couple blocks around, as long as I was home when the streetlights came on, uh, playing with my neighbors, my brothers, um, great memories of lightning storms 
and sitting on the porch with mom and dad. Dad would be drinking a beer. Mom would have a Coke. And we could just watch the rain pour down and, and the light show. Wintertime, snow forts, just all the great childhood memories growing up there. Did you feel safe? Very much. Could you go where you wanted to? Could you go over to the neighbors' homes and? Yeah, we. Uh, did everybody know where you lived? Yeah, and and if and if uh, they, my parents couldn't find me, they usually just called one person and they could figure out right where I was. So, <laughs> so it, you were surrounded. You were embraced by the neighborhood. It was a community. Yeah, and you and you and you enjoyed that, or you appreciated it, and you valued it. Did you know that when you were a kid? No, not at all. Once I got older and had moved around several, you know, different places, different cities, um, yeah, I realized that that was really a very uh, fortunate upbringing and something that I wanted to give uh, my children an opportunity to experience. You know, we're going to dig into this more. We're going to go to our first break, but you just made reminded me of something. I work with people who want to become school leaders. And uh, and one of the biggest issues in schools right now is attendance rates. Attendance rates are down maybe 70, 80 percent of t the days. I and mean, I used to be in school. If one kid was missing out of 33, we'd wonder where he was. And I, I tell these to the neighbors in our community in Hampton, Nebraska, if I had happened to be downtown during the school day and happened to go into the grocery store, the only place where you could have got a piece of candy to go to eat during the day, Sam, the grocery man, would have said, why aren't you in school? That's how in, that's how enclosed it was. That's how safe it was. And we're going to talk about the importance of that and what community looks like with Lance Antone when we return on Friendly Fire. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We're back on Friendly Fire this Saturday morning. This is Dan Alberts. Again, I'm pitch hitting for Stu Kearns. I love to use the words pitch hitting because Stu's a great baseball fan. He goes to all the Nebraska baseball games. He has four seats, or maybe he has two seats, but what he does, he invites friends and practitioners at his church. He invites me often to go to the games. I was just with him with the College World Series where Nebraska played their first game in Omaha was a what a great after when they when they won that first game that was exciting, um, so I always appreciate Stu and I appreciate KLIN uh, for for hosting Friendly Fire for years now because this is a place where we we can disagree but try not to be disagreeable a concept that uh, in a communication concept which I think we're sort of losing in our society and I'm hoping that friendly fire can be a symbolism of ways to return my guest today is is uh, Lance Antone a neighbor of mine we both live in the area just north of this studio which is uh, just south of the University of Nebraska East Campus it's called lovingly professors row although neither of us are professors at the university but they allow us to live in the area i don't know if there's a gate that says you have to be a professor but it's it's called professors row and it has a uniqueness about it beautiful homes safe and, and that's why you returned lance right you you returned to your childhood home just a block away from east campus the university of nebraska 11 years ago and why did you return it's really got, first off, I love Lincoln. I was born and raised here, moved away, but I always moved back. It's got all the things in my mind that really make 
an excellent community, and a great place to raise a family. What uh, makes it a great place to raise a family? Tell me. Lincoln, I want to dig in. I want to know. Why do you feel that way? I'm a huge fan of Lincoln Public Schools. We have beautiful parks, Pioneers Park, Wayuka, uh, even though it's a cemetery, is originally it is a public park. And I remember riding my bike there as a child, uh, doing picnics, done that with my family just by the pond that they have. East Campus, uh, the Maxwell Arboretum is beautiful. There's great place just to go. They got the dairy store. That's awesome. The original Valentino's is right down the street. Um, great neighbors, beautiful lawns, lots of trees. Lincoln's just a great city for a lot of reasons. And growing up here, I, I guess I took it for granted, I think. And then as I got older and wanted to find a place to plant my family, it seemed like a natural choice. And I'm very, very glad that uh, that's an opportunity. And it, it appears to me, when I walk by your home with my dog Stella or Beth and I walk by your home, it appears to me like you see yourself as an active player in making this a community. And I see that. You're always out on your porch. You always yell hello. You're, you want to have a beer. You want to have a drink. You want a glass of water. Hey, we're going to have a barbecue on the 20th. You want to come. You seem to uh, actively try to continue to develop community in this area. Is that your motive? Is that what you're trying to do? Definitely. Why? Because I have great neighbors, and it's a beautiful place to live. And I love to cook. My father's an excellent cook, and I've always been a huge fan of weekend dinners and big family dinners and functions. And my community is kind of an extended family. Uh, I know that you know they look out for me, and I look out for them when, when they're away. And I've developed a lot of great friendships in that neighborhood. Well, but you don't know that about a neighbor that just moves in. Why do you reach out? Well, how else would I find out unless I go approach them? <laughs> well, okay, so you see yourself, okay, I need to reach across the street with my voice or my meal or something because that's how this network of community stays together. I'm trying to understand why you're motivated to do this. It's, I think... Um, my father would always take me out with him on hunting trips and I spent a lot of time with uh, a lot of German grandmothers and ge older generations of people. And I've always gotten along. That's where I learned how to interact and how to communicate and, and how to be civil and, and, and not be afraid to talk to somebody, just use respect. You know, you're a, you're a big person, long beard. You look sort of intimidating. How do you get past that? With a smile and a hello. <laughs> does it work? Usually it does. I know the first time I saw you, I went all across the street. <laughs> I said, my God, I don't know what that guy's doing. But he's sitting on his porch looking out at me. Nope. It, it's sort of natural for people to have it. In our, I mean, I've caught myself this way. As I've grown in, this, in, the, in our world now, you see somebody, instead of going a towards them, we seem to be fearful of people. I, I think I see that in school. Have you noticed that over time, that that's sort of grown, or am I just imagining that? No, I, I definitely, I wouldn't say that people are afraid of me. I think that a lot of times when I see behavior like that, I think that more and more the younger generations are just afraid of engagement, eye contact, or 
even a, even a conversation. They don't know how to handle people or approach people in a, in like a civil, in a civil way. I think a lot of it's connectivity with social media and the internet and while we've gained access to information and more connectivity in that respect, I feel like we've lost a lot of it one-on-one forming interpersonal relationships face-to-face in person. Okay, so you learned how to do that, and I'm looking at kids that are at a high school that appear to have no, appear not to have that skill and appear not to be interested in that skill. They're they give the impression, and again, I don't know what's going on inside of their heads, that I don't know you and I don't want to know you. That's what it appears like. Now, that scares me. That isn't how I grew up in school. That isn't how I saw schools 20 years ago, but that's how I see them now. And I'm just talking about the inside workings of a school. And when we get back, I want to explore with you. You learned how to become engaging, correct? Correct. Yeah, I never, when you were younger and you were alone, did you ever like being a loner? And and the way that you come around to that is by being part of a group or a community or a club. And I, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. I went through the scouting program, um, you know, functions in high school, uh, singing in choir, stuff like that teaches you social skills, which is why I think our public schools are so great. And I personally would shy away from like, uh, when the whole pandemic happened, I was terrified that so many people kind of got disconnected being just doing online classes solely and forgot, you know, the routine and how to get up and brush your hair and brush your teeth and go out and interact with people. They Do you think that. we're responding to that now? That's cost us over time, that that COVID isolation? I definitely think it has. It's a lot of businesses have suffered terribly. Um, a lot of people's shopping and dining out habits have changed because of that. And like you mentioned, school attendance has suffered terribly because of that. And a lot of um, the learning, a lot of the grades have suffered terribly because of that. And I feel like we're, we're bouncing back from it. Do and I hope, that's, I hope that's the way it's going. When we return on Friendly Fire, um, I want to explore with you how do you think that return how we can motivate or encourage that return to occur. Personally, I'd love to see a school hallways. I'm going to teach again next year. I'd love to see more, more kids chatting with each other. I think the ability to understand your neighbor begins when you start to chat with people, have conversations with people, especially people that you don't know, maybe, maybe look different than you, uh, for various reasons, uh, but you, to bridge that gap that seems to be strong in my mind, I want to discuss with you because you seem, Lance, like you sort of have the recipe. I see it on your front porch often. So we're going to discuss what that recipe is uh, when we return on Friendly Fire. <laughs> Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. We're back on Friendly Fire. This is Dan Alberts. Thank you, Stu Kearns, for letting me substitute for you, pinch hit for you for the next three weeks. I'm thrilled to have a neighbor of mine, a good friend of mine, 
Lance Antone with me. Thanks, Lance, for being with us on Friendly Fire. Um, really enjoyed chatting with you. I've enjoyed being on your front porch with you. One of my best memories with you, Lance, is one time you invited us over for a meal, and I remember you scooping out. I didn't know what the meal was, wasn't certain that you were a good cook at all. In fact, I was fairly certain you probably weren't so at that time, but you had this huge pan on your stove. I That had to be a 10-gallon, maybe a 15-gallon silver pan. I can still see it on your stove, and you you said, you want to eat? And I said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so you brought this big bowl out. You had this big scoop in your hands, and you scooped out a whole bunch of stuff. Now it turned out to be perfect out of this large pan. The pan made me think of you were expecting a large crowd, and you wanted everyone to be full. That's what it suggested to me. Do you remember that? Do you remember having yeah. that? What was yeah. that event? What were you doing? Why did you do it? Uh, well, I learned from my father uh, how to cook for in scouts. We'd always cook for big groups of people. My family, five of us, but between me and my brothers, we could put away a lot of food. <laughs> and then later in life, uh, I was a cook at various restaurants for 10 years, you know, professionally to make to pay bills. And... I've always loved to eat, and thankfully, my dad, father is a great cook, so it's something I picked up from him. And you had people there that were diverse. I remember sitting there, meeting people that evening that I had never met before. Um, so you're, I'm guessing you had a diverse crowd there. Why? Why? Uh, it's corny, but I guess a stranger is a friend you haven't met yet, and it's valuable to me to get to meet people from all different walks of life, people that may or may not look at me and think that they would associate with me because I can gain a lot about the world through their experiences and, and having them share that with me and maybe I can share mine with theirs. Interesting. Now, again, my symbolism of your home is that pan I remember on the stove and your front porch. And as I walk by your front porch often, um, you have all kinds of different people. Often I'll think, I wonder how these people connect. Some some I know are colleagues of yours at work. Um, some of them are young people. Um, I've met your father on that front porch, a place where he used to live. So these, so this front porch, which maybe we'll see five or six different people there, that are, that have variations are there. And one of the things I've also noticed is no one has their phone out or rarely is a phone out. So what you're doing instead is conversing, communicating. That's what I observe. And what I want to dig into with you, Lance, during this segment is to find out how do you create that space? Why does it matter to you? Because obviously it does. You've been doing it. I've watched you for 11 years now. And how do you, what's the recipe? How does that happen? Well, I cook a lot of different things, so there's a lot of different recipes as far as that goes. Um, well, I think we all love to eat, especially good home-cooked meals. And if you're lucky in this world, you get to eat once a day. Not everybody does. I think that's valuable to share with people. And growing up, I always remember going to the grandparents or family get-togethers, big gatherings, cookouts, like the ones that my father and I still host. Um, it's just a great, it's like, like they say in church, you know, you're breaking bread with somebody. It's, it's a way to connect. It's something we all do. 
and you get to engage them and have a conversation <clears throat> and talk about things maybe they're not going to get to talk about with anybody else or get insight from them or a new way of looking at something. You know, you just said something that I, I do disagree with. We all we all share this idea that we communicate. It's not what I see at all. I see kids that don't communicate with anyone. I remember my first superintendent when I become a principal of a high school. He says, he when I he took me to the front door. I was out in Tucson. I was afraid I'd be a failure. So I said to him, Rick, what is it I have to do to be successful here? And he took me to the front door when these kids walked in. And he says, you know which kids you're looking at right now? He said, they're the best kids these parents have to offer you. Your job is to help them. And he said, you know, they're not going to learn anything about math or science or anything until they feel safe. Um, and, and so your job is to put them in an environment where they can learn, and that means you've got to have them be both physically and psychologically safe. Your front porch screams safety, security. That's what it, that's what it means to me. I want to know how you create that environment because well, you have. My porch is definitely a safe space. Um, I always make that very clear. I've even broken up fights between friends of mine getting into an argument and I just tell them you're a guest on my porch and this is a safe place and I don't really care if you don't agree with what my other friend says if you can't be polite and you can't be civil then you're disinvited I'm not going to tolerate it I don't ask especially new people not just my friends and my family to come over and share a conversation or or drink a soda or have a meal. I want them to feel safe. And that means I'm going to advocate for that, especially if they're going to be attacked or, you know, somebody wants to lose their cool. That's their opinion, but they can take it somewhere else. That's not why I've asked anybody to ever join me on that porch. Then it, it absolutely is a safe space. That's something I make very clear. And where did you learn this? How do we teach this to people that being safe is an important thing that you can play a role in others being safe? How do you where did you learn the importance of that? Because obviously you know it. Was it from your mother, from your father, from your neighbors? Where did you learn that psychological and physical safety is essential? Uh, definitely from my mother. She always okay. says if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And there's, you know, I've been bullied. Kids are mean in school. My kids have been bullied. I think we all have at one time or another. I'm sure... I have bullied people, and I didn't like how it made me feel, either bullying somebody or, or getting bullied. So I decided to put an end to that and that I should be a peacekeeper. I was a bouncer at different bars for years, and that's the same role, just babysitting loaded adults and, and refing up fights like that. But, you know, nobody likes to feel less and... Nobody needs the aggravation, and there's no reason, in my opinion, and definitely on my porch, that we can't get along and conduct ourselves in a respectful manner. You told me a story once um, about your father when you and your brother were uh, struggling, I think, probably disagreeing as children, and he put boxing gloves on both of you, or I think it was something like that. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Tell, can you tell that to our guests? When my brother and I were too much with the bickering, uh, we were offered the chance to go downstairs and put on boxing gloves and settle the disagreement physically. 
I usually just blocked. I never struck back. And a light came on in my head at a young age that I didn't like getting hit. So why would I want to hit my brother, even if I'm mad at him? It never made me feel better. And now I'm a much larger guy. And still, it I don't like getting hit. doesn't matter how big you are. Why would I want to do that to somebody else? Even if that's emotionally or attacking them in a conversation. So it's about respect. And when you feel safe someplace, you're going to be more engaging and you're going to feel respected. And that's a really great feeling. And you're going to, you're going to have a better day. You know, if, if Pastor Kearns is, gets the opportunity to listen to this show, he's, I bet he's smiling because if you're a pastor of a, of a Christian church, you just, you just restated the golden rule. And he would love that. Treat others as you want to be treated. Yep. And, and the hardest people to treat like you want to be treated are the ones you struggle with. It's not hard to treat the people you get along with well. Well, my well. neighbors, my neighbors and my coworkers and my friends, here's the thing. We're not millionaires. We all work hard for a living. We all do our best to struggle to raise our families. Um, we all struggle in our marriages or our relationships. We all struggle at work. Why, why do you need to come home and relive any of that? And struggle there? <laughs> yeah. Why not have a place that builds you up and you feel supported and you feel valued? As my, my, my superintendent told me in Tucson, as the same person I was just talking about, a mentor of mine, he said, look, you have no idea what those kids went through the moment before they walked in this door. Just because your home life was, maybe your home life is safe and secure, and maybe your parents smiled at you before, when they made breakfast for you in the morning, maybe that's your life. But you don't know when that kid walks in the door that he didn't have a fight with his parents, that his parents maybe weren't present, maybe they appear like they don't care for him. You don't know any of that. But your job when they walk in that door is to treat him like you want to be treated. I remember that. And that's what you do on your front porch. Is that Would that be? And that's what you learned from definitely, your mother. Definitely. And, yeah, from my, from my upbringing, from my mother and father, from all the older generations of people that I – was very fortunate to spend time with. And in my experience, I've more often than not always been pleasantly surprised at the caliber of people that I meet, even if I just randomly approach them in my neighborhood, walking by and invite them up or uh, coworkers of mine. You don't really know what anybody else is going through until you sit down and give them a chance to tell you and listen to them and show them value. We're going we're gonna to have one more segment with you, Lance, where we're going to try to wrap this conversation up about good communication, about good community, about how you create those conversations when we return on Friendly Fire. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Back. With friendly fire. This is Dan Alberts. I want to thank KLIN. Uh, the, the people at KLIN, they are always so gracious to allow and encourage friendly fire. Uh, it was doing friendly fire with John Baylor, shows like this uh, when Jim Rose was here, who I, who I know is still connected uh, with this with this show. I've listened to Caleb Henry and, uh, and, and 
and the morning show, uh, Jack Mitchell for years. Uh, I know Caleb uh, comes from Loop City, Nebraska, which if you're a farm person from Nebraska, you're always uh, you're always thrilled to know that people that a lot of people that come to Lincoln, including me, come from small communities. That's what makes Nebraska. That's what builds Nebraska networks together. I'm going to be here with you for the next three two weeks following today. Um, and the whole theme is going to be about communication, conversation, networking. That's sort of the LinkedIn idea. How do you network with people? When uh, when I grew up in Hampton, we didn't call it networking. We called it to go visit your neighbors. And I could walk down a quarter mile down the road and see Gertie Anderson or go see Ruth Weber. And sometimes my mom would say, why don't you go see Gertie? Maybe it was because she was tired of me. But we had this network, this community that we that I got to grow up in that made me feel safe and secure. And uh, my guest this morning, and Lance, thank you very much for being with us this morning. You create the same environment in the city of Lincoln, close to East Campus, on your front porch. I've watched you do it for 11 years, and the whole point of the show this morning is to try to dig in to why that matters and how does it happen. And Lance, uh, during this last segment, I want to have you go back to your childhood and see if you can tell... Describe instances or experiences that you had in the same home, in the same area, that, uh, that you think that you're still connected to. Uh, going to your f- neighbors or what your mother told you or what made it so important to you to sit on that front porch and invite people to join you. Hey, real quick, before we go on to that, uh, I did have a thought okay. from before the Perfect. break about... Uh, security and safety and my porch being a safe place. And when I say that it is, it absolutely is. That's for everybody. I welcome all stripes and I want to be very clear about it. It is a safe place because I have a lot of friends, family and coworkers that are in the gay LGBTQ community. And I am a huge, huge pride supporter and advocate for that community. So We'll take all stripes because these are some of the best people that you're going to find in, in my life and in our community. And that diversity definitely makes us better, makes us stronger. How does it make you better? It gives you different perspectives. And it allows you to be a kinder person. And it allows you opportunities and information that you may have otherwise not known about if you chose just to stay with your head in the sand. I welcome and have shared meals and drinks with all stripes of people, cowboys, bikers, hippies, squares, religious folks. Lawyers. Lawyers of all people. (laughs) We'll let anybody on the porch as long as they're respectful. (laughs) Well, you've always, I've always feel invited to be on your porch and, and again, because coming full circle, because I'm watching people who seem to be growing up without this background, the back, the background that I know Caleb Henry talks about a lot on his in the morning with when he's talking to Jack, the the, the description you've had, it's just coming from somewhere. And tell us, what, it's where gen- did it come from? It's a generational thing. I've noticed that uh, some of my older neighbors and and now friends. We're a lot more, a lot quicker to accept and take me up on the invitation versus the younger, like some college kids. They're petrified when I, hey, how's it going? How's your morning? And strike a conversation with a random person. 
they kind of get really uptight and a lot of times aren't sure how to respond or if it's appropriate or if it's safe and they get nervous and then they come up, man, we just talk from across my porch and they'll hang out on the driveway and just have a quick chat and then they're put at ease and I've. Do they get closer the next time? Yeah. I've, I've probably had 10 or 15 over the years, take me up on it and come up and tell me what, where they're from, uh, what country they're from. Uh, what what they're going to school for, how school is going for them. Just ask them about their day, and it's really interesting stuff. So you persist. I mean, the first time they don't say much, they, like I did, I walked across the street because you looked intimidating. Um, you just you persist and keep saying hello. Yeah. Or, and your porch just says you're invited up here, right? It's not closed in. It's nope. It's there's these chairs that don't look. It looks like it's fine to sit in, even if you're closed. Or we're, yeah, we're we're just out there relaxing, screwing around, or got really big into bocce during the pandemic. It's I love it, and I got my friends into it. And if you don't think you're competitive, wait till <laughs> you play your first game of bocce because I've seen some people who act like they don't care get terribly competitive. If you, as you think back to your childhood, what was it that uh, there's these things that have caused you to want to build this community? Can you remember three or four things that, that you recall that said, okay, later as you look back said, okay, this is what it meant to me? In my memories as a child, I had giant trees on in that neighborhood, and it just seemed magical, almost like we lived in a forest. There's a overgrown alleyway shortcut. It used to be the OLMB line. I could, we could ride bikes through there. Uh, flowers everywhere. Beautiful weather. Uh, lovely families. Other kids that I could go play with and like have friends. I couldn't drive a car, but I could take my bike and go a block or two away and go visit a friend. It gave me, it gave me freedom. It made me feel like I had more license to do what I wanted just as a young kid. Um, almost like I was kind of grown up. I felt very taken in. I, there's different houses I could spend the night at and have dinner with their family and they could come to our house. Um, the garden was amazing. My father always kept a, a huge garden and all kinds of fresh veggies. There were mulberry trees every spring. I, Got to have mulberry pie. We go just, it was like a wonderful place. It was great. I had freedom with my bike. I had community with my friends. I had other neighbors that were um, very kind and, and outgoing as as I try to be now. Do you think the people that created that that community, do you think they thought about creating that kind of community or was it just natural for them? How does it happen? Because it seems to me like there's a lot of communities where I see no one on the front porch. Most communities see a few people out playing. You don't. That's not how I grew up. Well, a lot more screen time. Uh, the phones are always in their hands. When, when I was young, the phone still plugged into the wall, which I can't really explain to my ten and twelve year old kids. Yeah, they don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the TV wasn't such a big deal because you had when. I, when I was a kid at that house, I think there was four or five channels. It, it was, you know, it was the nightly news, 10, 11 news. We could watch that at five. And then 
uh, Fall Guy and Dukes of Hazard, maybe, or whatever mom wanted to watch. That was we did have, and then Saturday morning cartoons. That was amazing. You know, Lance, when you were talking, I was just thinking about this. I used to, at school, when I was in school, I'd tell kids the same kind of stories because I grew up similar to you. Um, and they'd say, well, that's just because you're old. And uh, and it, at first I would start to say, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm old. And it would sort of poof, push me back, like, okay, I'm not going to talk about that because I don't want to feel old. But then I more I think about it, I don't think it's old at all. I think this is where we better return to because I think that we're tearing ourselves apart by not having this intimate development of community that people – appear like they used to understand a majority of people used to understand and do and that's what made america or and this is a big step to say it's what made america different better significant safer place where you wanted to be i i fear that we need to return i would trade my iphone and netflix for my old schwinn stingray Saturday morning cartoons, dirty knees and bee stings any day. Going out and being sweaty and riding our bikes all day with my friends. That that would be heaven. Instead of everybody's bottled, kettled up inside on some device, not really using their imagination or their creativity or going out and just enjoying all the beauty that's around us. Lance, if I could have tied this, this session of Friendly Fire up in any way, you just tied it up in a perfect bowl thank you very much and as we always say on friendly fire i want you to think about it talk about it i'll see you next week